Digital Divide. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Divide, the show where we bring on guests from industry leaders, policymakers, equipment manufacturers, as well as others to talk about the steps they are doing to help close the digital divide. Today, we have a very special guest with us today. I'm happy to welcome Mr. Blair Levine to the show, who is a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, among many other things. Mr. Levine, thank you so much for coming on and taking some of time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Happy to do it. So as a way of introduction, Mr. Levine oversaw the deployment of the FCC's 2010 National Broadband Plan. FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler said, cited Mr. Levine uh, work as no one has done more to advance broadband expansion and competition through the vision of the National Broadband Plan and gig you. And I can't think of anyone else better to actually talk about this discussion on closing the digital divide. Um, Mr. Levine, I actually um, went on uh, your uh, LinkedIn, as I, as I shared with you earlier, and I read one of the talks that you actually read through it many, many times on uh, the Bead Summit at the Telecommunications Industry Association. And I kind of wanted to walk through that a little bit because I, I think there were some very pertinent and, and educational informational things that are in there that I'd like to share with our audience. But I always get started with this one question. What is the digital divide and why is it so important for us that we close it? Um, well, I would def you can define it in a lot of different ways. And when uh, I was at the FCC in the 90s when the internet arose and people talked about the digital divide then, but it was it meant something very, very different. What I would say today is simply, uh, frankly, what, what we wrote in the National Broadband Plan and what Congress uh, wrote in the infrastructure bill, which is you cannot be a full participant in the economy or in the civic society without utilization of digital resources. That is to say, being online, having access to the information, using the many, many tools that, that are on there. And so the digital divide is really the divide between those who have, can afford, and know how to use digital resources, and those who don't. And those who do will have a chance of thriving in the economy that we're uh, inventing as we speak, and those who don't will not. Well, that leads us right into uh, the first part of our conversation, which is the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program. Um, back in uh, 2021, uh, Congress established the ACP program through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, yeah. and there was about 14, little over 14 billion allocated for ACP, um, making sure that that uh, you know people that without service could could at least afford it. Um, just recently here in March of uh, 23, the FCC awarded $23 million to boost the uptake of the ACP program. Um, we look at the, the, the recent budgets for both the Democrat and Republican side. Why has there not been any inclusion 
in any of those budgets to to refund the ACP program? Oh, well, let me say a couple of things about that. Um, uh, but first of all, let me say that the ACP program, which provides a $30 a month subsidy, is the most bipartisan program in terms of impact that you could possibly imagine. If you look at congressional districts by whether they're represented by a Republican or a Democrat, you will find that in terms of the numbers of homes served and the, and the dollars that are going, it's basically 50-50. In other words, Republicans are benefiting to the same extent as Democrats. That's very different, by the way, than the rural broadband deployment, which almost exclusive, which is a much larger program, 42 billion, and that's going almost all to Republican, heavily Republican-leaning areas. So the ACP is very bipartisan in terms of impact. And if you look at the polling numbers, it scores very high among Democrats, very high among uh, independents, and even in the 60% with Republicans. And so you might say, why aren't both sides asking it to be refunded? Well, um, the Republican answer is a little bit easier to do. The Republicans right now, and of course, we're, we're talking at a time when uh, the actually Biden's in the White House as we speak with Kevin McCarthy and others. So who knows what comes out of it? But at this moment in time, um, I think it's clear that the Republicans want to send a message. We're not spending any more money, no new money. And if you think about refunding a program, you could think of that that is new money. So they don't want to propose it. The more interesting question is why the Biden administration did not include it in its much more detailed budget proposal. Republicans had no details about anything, really, um, other than some high-level numbers of what, what they wanted to cut, but not ever specifying programs. So the Biden administration, the budget document actually praises the Affordable Conductivity Program, but does not ask for it to be refunded. There are a couple possible explanations. I don't know which one is the most accurate. One is they could have been thinking it won't this will be next year's budget, not this year's budget. I think that's that is a factually wrong assessment if that was the reason. Another is they may not have wanted to raise it at this time. They may have wanted to wait till the fall. It could be that they have a different plan for how to do it. Yeah, I've talked to people there, but the explanations I've gotten don't really, you know, look, I, I'm very sympathetic to the difficulty of the job right. they have. But it is a curiosity because um, it's a very successful program, in my view. It now serves 17 million households. Wow. And if it's not refunded sometime probably in the first quarter of next year, 17 million households, which is, you know, approximately 15% of America, is going to get a notice saying uh, your Internet rates are going to go up by 30 bucks a month or you're going to get cut off if you don't pay it. That's going to be a very big problem. Uh, for those people, and um, we should hope to, we should want to avoid that. Well, and and if you look at the, you know, and we'll take beads for instance, because we're talking about this, in in the parameters for an entity to actually participate in beads, um, you must participate in the ACP program. Yeah, but that's not really a burden for any company. I mean. Mm -hmm. The $30 subsidy is certainly sufficient to more than pay for uh, the incremental cost of any subscriber. Remember, the real cost, as, as you well know, 
is the initial capital cost. Broadband right. is very similar to other large systems like water and sewer and electrical, where you have to pay an enormous amount to build a capital plant. Right. But the incremental cost per customer is very, very low. So um, as, as I understand the economics, and I've spent about 20 years advising Wall Street institutional investors, there, every company's incremental cost of serving additional cu customer is significantly lower than 30 bucks. So saying you have to offer the service is not exactly a sacrifice. I, I will say two things about the bead program that are co not commonly understood. Number one, if the ACP goes away, uh, under the rules, they have to offer an affordable program. Well, what does that mean? If, if the ACP is available, it's easy to answer. The answer is 30 bucks, because that means it's free, and free is affordable, right? So you know, <laughs> right. that's easy. But if you don't do that, you're going to get every state doing something different, and it's going to be a big mess, and it's, you're going to have all kinds of lawsuits, and things will get delayed. So it's a big problem. The other thing, and it's extraordinary to me because I talk to people in the Hill, and they do not understand this, and they really should which is the ACP makes the bead money, which is the deployment dollars, go 25% more. Now, why is that? Well, it's very simple. What the rural deployment funds are doing is they're not funding 100% of the cost of capital. They're funding the funding gap between what the private market would pay and, and, and the total cost of the project. So if you think, oh, you know, there's no ACP, so at most I'm going to get 70% of the market, um, you might be willing to pay $3 million for a $10 million project. But if ACP is there, you're going to get an extra 25%. So you might be willing to pay uh, an extra, I, can't, I'm, I should have picked a number where it's easier to do the math, but it's about 800000 So in other words, instead of needing a $7 million subsidy, you need a $6 million subsidy. But but the, the big point is ACP, it's kind of like, it's, a, it's not just the benefit for the people, it's a benefit for that goal of getting broadband everywhere because it makes the economics of rural deployment much better. It means that, you know, 80 or 90% of the public is, can now afford it and the companies can do better and the people are gonna do better. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's, it's very important economically. So it could be a, a decision point for, for companies then, you know, and it absolutely, if, if it's not there, am I gonna go out there and finish this deployment that these folks that I may or may not benefit from? That's right. In the second half of this year, we'll have all, all the ISPs finalizing their plans for how they're going to bid on the on the bead funding for rural deployment. And if it's unclear as to whether or not ACP will continue, they're going to have to make a big bet. They can either bet it's going to continue, but if they're wrong, that project will effectively go bankrupt. They can bet it's not going to continue but if they're wrong, then the government's going to be giving them too much money. So the right thing to do is be clear about what's going to happen. Right. Um, we'll see whether that happens. The right thing, to, the right thing sometimes happens in Washington D.C., but <laughs> it's not 
it's not guaranteed by any means. Well, speaking of the right thing happening, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read one of your quotes here so I, I don't get this wrong. Um, and you you say as we look into a future which more and more economic and civic activity involves artificial intelligence and online communications. However, we should not forget there is an urgent and critical task of eliminating the, the digital divide. Yeah. And if we don't get this right or we, or we don't get clarification on the ACP program, we're not going to, in, in my opinion, we're not going to be able to close the digital divide because if, if I'm if I'm ISP company A and I'm looking at this and I don't know, I need to protect myself. Right. Right. Or I could get into a situation where we had another program like like Autoff. Now I'm looking for ways to um, extricate myself from that commitment without really delivering. So we're, we're kind of right back at the starting gate. Yeah. No, look, I, I, that, that's right. Let me give you a historical example that I talked about in the speech about how critical this is, what a critical moment this is for us. I want to draw the historical analogy to what Franklin Roosevelt said um, when he said, I see a country where one third are ill-housed, ill-clothed, and ill-fed. And then he went on to say, and it will be the concern of all Americans to solve that for all other Americans. And I grant the sincerity of the comment, and I think it was an important perception that America can't, just as Lincoln said, the country can't exist half slave and half free. You can't exist when one, as a nation, you can't exist if one third are ill-clothed, ill-housed, and ill-fed. So you have to address those things. To his credit, he created the Federal Housing Authority to help people get mortgages. That was great. That was a really important thing. But they also made a very critical mistake, which is they redlined communities. African-American communities were not included in that opportunity. And, I, you know, the roots of that, we could go through the history of all that. But I, what I want to focus on, what is the impact of that? There is a huge wealth divide in this country today between uh, homes of white Americans and those of African-Americans. Two thirds of that wealth gap is attributable to housing, the equity that was built up on the housing. Wealth creation in the last century for most Americans was really a function of the house they were bought and then that house that they could afford the next generation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in this century, housing is still really important. And I'm glad we've gotten rid of those, uh, the redlining that we did in housing, though. But the, the, the consequences of that error in the 1930s, we are still living with. Wealth creation in the next century will be about digital access. If you don't have access to, you know, digital tools, you can't create wealth for you and yourself, for yourself and your family. You just can't do it. And so... This is the moment in time when we have got to solve that problem, because if we don't solve it, 100 years from now, we'll look back and there'll be a new wealth gap. And that'll be between those who had access to digital tools and those who didn't. 
And that is, um, when I read through that, that's one of the things that really, really jumped off the pages at me. And, 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 and I can say this, because I, I can look, and I was sharing this with one, one of my kids earlier today, and, and that, you know, I want to I wanna, I wanna establish um, some, some, some economic stability in our own household, Right. Mm-hmm. So that my grandkids, and I, I look at my grandkids and I'm like, OK, got to make sure they have college funds, got to make sure they have the, the right education and so forth. So I understand I, I 100 percent understand that. And as I look and I travel and, and I travel mainly in rural areas, um, there's there is a definite have and have not. Yeah. And in, in a lot of rural areas and, and you can go to any rural area, USA, and you'll see a million dollar house and you go a mile down the road, you got a trailer park, right? right. And so right. it's it's very important. And I'm glad you brought that up. Is it's very important that we get this right for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And not just the haves. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about beads a little bit more. Um, in that article, you talk about the main show what is the main show when it comes to beads or, or, or let's say any funding um, uh, programs such as beads? There, there's others out there, but, you know, we're, we're focusing on beads here a little bit. Yeah. So what the Congress did in 2021 was to say uh, in three different pieces of legislation, though, mm-hmm. they, they said, we're going to solve the the, the access digital divide once and for all. And uh, that we're going to do it by essentially giving a lot of money to the states. We're going to oversee it at the federal government, but fundamentally it's about the states. And we're going to give them enough money so that we can make sure that there is a robust broadband connection to every home and business in the United States. Now, we're in the process of implementing that. But that's the main show. The largest such program is the bead program, $42.5 billion. The money has the money has been distri- started to be distributed for planning and things like that. But mm-hmm. the real activity is going to be at the end of this year. The states are going to file their plans. The, the allocations will be finalized, uh, I believe, by June 30th. It probably is going to be a couple weeks mm-hmm. before that. Um, and then we're going to just be building in these rural areas in 24 and 25 and 26 to do this. And so theoretically, by the end of the decade, there will be a very robust broadband network. I would guess that roughly speaking, 98% of homes and locations will have access to uh, a fiber wired connection or a cable connection. You know, another one and a half will have fixed wireless and then maybe 0.5 will be using satellite. Um, there are certain places in Alaska, certain places in the West, even fixed wireless can't get to very effectively. Um, but that's that would be great. Some states are going to do it well. Some states are going to do it really badly. <laughs> and there may be some places that aren't uh, aren't connected. We'll see. Uh, but it's some people refer to it as a once in a generation program. It's not. It's a once program. If we mm. succeed. There's no need to do it again. If we fail, I don't think we're going to want to do it again. Uh, the political will won't be there. So we'll see how it goes. 
Um, but I think it's a very important thing uh, to finally do. Then once you've connected every location, or I should say you've, you've laid a network that can connect every location, the next thing is to make sure that everybody can afford it and that they have the digital skills to use it. And that's an ongoing process. Right. And that's why the affordable connectivity program is so important because it's just a fact in the same way that we have a food program called SNAP. We have a healthcare program called Medicaid. You know, we have a lot of people who are just scraping by. They have no discretionary income. They're just, we, we, we don't want them to say, I either afford medicine for my kid or broadband. You know, we, want, we want them to be able to afford both. Um, lots of countries this we need to do it too so we and we kind of talked a little bit about this before we actually start um, started the program Uh, it's it's one thing to to build the infrastructure another thing how do we get those people engaged yeah and and I believe like you said that that's going to be an ongoing um, I think that that for the younger generation it's not really going to be a problem there's certainly yes. a number of, of elderly people who don't use it. I don't worry nearly as much about them. Though I will say one of the biggest concerns our country should have, though it's not on the front burner, uh, though it maybe should be, is you have the baby boomer generation, of which I am a part. Uh, we're aging. And the medical costs of seniors is extraordinary. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Broadband and tools that are built on top of broadband can help lower the cost of senior health care. So we really need everybody on for that reason, too. Right. So I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. I'm going to go back to uh, one other topic in here you talked about, and that's AI. Yeah. And um, again, I'm going to I'm going to read your quote so I don't get this wrong. As a result of AI, many things that used to be hard will now be easy. And many things we never worried about will move to the front burner. So it is appropriate that we are starting, I'm sorry, it's appropriate that we are starting a several decade process of debating, adopting, and revising rules to AI. We could spend several episodes just talking about AI. We could spend an entire episode talking about just AI. Could you share with the audience, you know, uh, the statement I just read, what yeah. you mean, what you what what is meant by that statement? Well, um, so AI has enormous potential. I would urge everybody to watch a TED talk by Saul Khan of the Khan Academy about how it's going to change education. But I could probably find a similar TED talk or something about how it's going to change every aspect of everything that we do, whether it be you know, why are the writers guilds on strike? Because they're worried about AI. It's going to take away, they think there's some jobs. So what I would say is no one's going to lose their jobs to AI. They're going to lose their jobs to someone who knows how to use AI. And no business is going to get beat by AI. They're going to be beat by businesses that know how to use AI. So it's just, it's a radically transforming thing. Um, Much in the way, and I was at the FCC when wireless and the internet arose. um, And it was extraordinary how it changed the way we thought about regulation uh, and what we were doing at the FCC. And we had to throw away a lot of stuff that had been in the old rule book and adopt, adopt new things. 
Last week, the White House convened a meeting. They put out a big kind of a white paper on regulation. The chair of the FTC wrote a very well-read uh, op-ed in the New York Times talking about how the dangers of fraud and uh, other harms to consumer, they're going to protect against it. But AI it creates that. You had the Department of Commerce put out a request for comments about how to approach it. Look, I, I, um, this is, in retrospect, the kind of debate we should have had back in the mid-90s. <laughs> And I'm as fault as much as anybody for us not having it. But we all back then thought the internet's going to be totally great. The, the common mythology is we need to not regulate it. The truth was we regulated to help the internet. Well, that was, I think, appropriate. But what we've now learned is there are negative consequences as well. There are great things to be done. And so as a society, you know, just like cars come up. Well, you know, it took us way too long to get seatbelts, right? Right, right. But we eventually did it. And, you know, it took us way too long to regulate smoking, but we eventually did it. But what's interesting is right at the beginning with AI, every government in the world recognizes we need to have some control over this because there's a lot of negative things that can happen. Uh, but we also want to hope that good stuff happens and see what we can do to make sure that that is the case. In there, you, you also talk about um, that we're trailing the EU and China yep. um, in the AI area. Yep. Why is it important for us to, to, to catch up? You know, it's a great question. Um, uh, I personally am a great believer in democracy, and I would like to believe that my democracy makes the rules under which I would live. <laughs> um, I have a certain deal of respect for the EU. I'm not so much sure I respect the <laughs> the politics of China, but the point is, if they're making the rules, I think it's bad for me and everyone whose country I, I share. So I would like the U.S. to be to be making those rules. Um, I worry about the EU because the way they think about things, it's a bunch of American companies who, you know, they're kind of it's. There are various things where the EU has acted in a way, well, let's just have the American companies pay our companies more money. You know, like that's not <laughs> really the principle that I'd like to operate on. China is very nationalistic and they're going to make rules that help the Chinese. So I think it's important that we have some rules that, that we're involved. Unfortunately, our Congress is highly dysfunctional, doesn't seem to be able to make rules about anything. I would add to that our Supreme Court seems to be contemptuous of government expertise. And you see this in a variety of ways, but you see it, for example, in the court decision in Texas, which threw out 20 years of FDA expertise on the so-called abortion pill. And this judge who knows nothing about science had this, you know, uh, wrote an opinion that would fail out of any first year law school class and any first year chemistry class. His knowledge was, you know, mm -hmm. uh, totally lacking. But that is what our courts are doing in substituting their judgment for the judgment of experts. So I worry about a lot of different things in terms of how we're approaching um, AI. But having said it, I, I do. It, it's a it's a scary phenomenon, but it's also really great. Can I tell you very quickly? And I know we're almost out of time. Sure. So I have three grandkids. It's really great. Highly recommend it to people. Um, I have been using AI to write 
stories in the style of Dr. Seuss, in which my grandkids are the main characters. It's fantastic. <laughs> they love it. And I love reading them too. You know, but I'm, I'm so, sure there are much more important uses, but I'm just saying it's, it, it has the potential to be great. I will confess that I, I used it to write a song. I, I'm learning to play the guitar again after 40 years of, of not picking it up. But I wanted to write a song about old guys, and I used I used AI to come up with the lyrics. So I'll put I'll put the uh, music to it at some point, and, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, this has been awesome. This this has been absolutely it's it's this has been a thrill for me. Uh, well, thank you very much. It's been a great to, talk to you. To meet you in person, and and also to to share a little bit of information, um, as I normally do. Um, can you share with the audience where they can um, find more, find out about, uh, excuse me, share with the audience where they can find more information and, and help to educate themselves on some of the talks that you have done and um, that type of information? Yeah, so I, I blog a lot uh, at Brookings. So the Brookings blog, if you just do a search for Blair Levin at Brookings, you'll find my blogs. Uh, my speeches, my most recent speeches have all been on the Benton Foundation website. So if you search for the Benton Foundation and Blair Levin, you'll find my speeches. Uh, I actually don't tweet. I, I don't think that any thought I have I can do in, in that shortage of characters. Um, I don't write books, but I do write a little bit longer. Um, uh, so, and I've, you know, I've done some, I've, I've written some things on broadband that have been in the Harvard Business Review and MIT Sloan. I, I do a lot of writing for Wall Street, but that's behind the paywall, so nothing much to be said about that. But look, there are a lot of people, I think, who have a really good commentary, but I, the, the Benton Foundation does a great job of providing kind of daily news clips and, and other kinds of things on that. And I, the, the 2010 National Broadband Plan, which I'm really proud of, I think we should have rewritten it in 2015 and 2020. We should have definitely rewritten it after COVID, but I would recommend, I think it still holds up as a kind of analytic tool. And then in 2020, I worked with the National Urban League to write something called the Lewis Latimer Plan for Digital Equity and Inclusion. Uh, you can Google that and find that. And that's kind of an updated version of the National Broadband Plan, but with a greater focus on both post-COVID and also digital equity and inclusion. Awesome. And we'll, we'll put some of that uh, information down, uh, down below here. I want to ask you one more question, and you kind of alluded to it earlier before we before we close here. In your opinion, do you believe that we have the political will based on history that we talked about earlier to get this program, this one-time program correct? So I'm going to quote a favorite quote of mine. I think now is a time for uh, pessimism of the mind and optimism of the will. What I mean by that is, as a pure analyst, if you ask me on a coin flip, do we have the will? I would, I would, if I was only interested in money, I'd take the negative. <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of forces. Mm. It's, it's sad. I, America seems like a meaner place than it used to be than the America I remember growing up in, and and so for that, I'm, I'm deeply concerned. On the other hand, there's a very good case to be made for it. It's a great program, and there are a lot of people working really hard to make sure that it continues. 
So I think we have to have that optimism that it can be done. Um, and uh, let, let's let's keep our fingers crossed, but also let's work hard to make it so. Absolutely, 100%. And we're trying to share that, a little bit of that here on, on this show. Uh, again, I want to thank you for being with us today. Um, I will reach out to you again um, okay. to, to talk a little more about this as we move closer to Beads and, and, and some of the other programs. And to our audience, I want to thank you guys for joining us today. If you want more information and education and, and more of our episodes, please tune in to ctdd.castos.com or wherever you get your podcast. Again, Mr. Lean, thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you very much.